intimate episode of Giants Among Men right. ever recorded. This is live and in person. Yeah. This is uncomfortable. <laughs> we are. I mean, we couldn't be sitting closer to one another at a pretty tiny desk. Right. We're cheek to cheek right now. <laughs> it's full intimacy, Brian. This is. is the most intimate episode we've ever recorded. Right. We're side by side, face to face. Our children are... Right, our, our families are here. Yeah, our yeah. wives and children are a mere, you know, thin <laughs> door, right. piece of sheetrock away, probably right. listening to us right now. Right. It's somehow putting a finer perspective on the ridiculousness <laughs> of the entire enterprise. <laughs> right. But here we are, ostensibly on vacation, and now we're sitting in a tiny desk right next to each other. For you. For you, all the fans. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Our families are right outside this door, probably <laughs> ridiculing us. Judging us. Yeah. Yeah. But a show must be done, and so a show will be done. Yeah. It's, what can we do? So, we're on vacation. We're here in the Pocono Mountains. Oh. oh and uh, and we're with our families. We've done quite a, quite a few things that we're going to actually get to in this episode. So, let's just say some of the sports will probably be on the back half right so if you're listening to us live on radio free brooklyn right now go ahead brew your morning cup of coffee <laughs> okay maybe even have a little breakfast and then you know get back to us in about 20 minutes half hour where it's going to be some nicks and some golf talk um but we're going to start with some critical things that we've learned about our, ourselves and our families over this vacation we have finally gotten an opportunity to share our love of the karate kid with our children yes and i'm very pleased with the outcome right it did work out well yeah, yeah. my son is good that way he'll he delivers on when you introduce him to something that you hope he's gonna really like you know he was he did he loved it yeah he did <laughs> and i i would also say that like his enthusiasm generally is you know that's what you're looking for Right. No, he was ready to join Miyagi-Do karate, and he is ready for the All-Valley tournament, I think. <laughs> I guess, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was a little surprised that he didn't take more to Johnny. Yeah, you know, I feel like because I've been watching Cobra Kai, though, like, and it is from Johnny's perspective, like, and we were joking about it the other night, but, like, the critical scene that Johnny has sort of not reckoned with i will say is the attack on the open road with the motorcycles in which daniel is just having dinner with his mother and they see him out there and then they follow him and then they push him off a ravine down where he you yeah, know like it's a nasty tumble it's <laughs> really bad it's really bad so like we're in cobra kai johnny's like a likable dude and you, you get to be on his side like when you watching the movie again it's like oh right no he's very vicious yeah that was that was really uncalled for and it was really daniel went into his karate school because he needed to defend himself right and saw johnny left without a fuss right recognizes he does not belong there right yeah leaves yeah to go just have lunch, lunch with, with his, his mom with his mother right yeah and they spot him and nearly murder him. They, right, they plot his murder. <laughs> That's what they do. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that was hard for children to overcome. As right. far as 
relating to a character, even though I think they did acknowledge that Johnny is sort of the cooler of the two gentlemen. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I found myself reconnecting. You know, I feel like when you watch Cobra Kai, like Ralph Macchio is now is like such a middle-aged dad goofy guy and it's like sort of ridiculous you fi- i like went away from daniel son yeah this i got re back with my my daniel roots i agree you know and it is they did talk about it in the most recent cobra kai season you do forget because daniel is rich and you know dripping with privilege in cobra kai right but he was miguel right right you know he, he was really totally was broke yeah, yeah right him and his mom were just trying to make it you know in their little apartment she's hostessing at this restaurant that daniel's having lunch with her at i tell you mrs larusso too just her positivity right right it is infectious yeah and i think that's how it keeps daniel afloat that's really what inspires daniel just always keep on plugging that's true his mother is great yeah that's actually true in the in the show his wife and his mother don't get along really his mom's kind of like a pain in the ass yeah you forget she is like right the light of the movies yeah. yeah and it's interesting they don't get along because i really like daniel's wife i like her way more than daniel in the show right that's true but she yeah. is a, in that point a mother-in-law and that's always yeah it's tricky i think the big problem also with daniel is daniel is much better in the student role and his reactions to Mr. Miyagi are so perfect. Right. Like, I just love now when Mr. Miyagi slices through that um, those bottles, those beer bottles. Like, Daniel is the perfect level of, like, how did you do that? How did you do that? Right. <laughs> Explain it to me. Right. But Daniel's not quite as good when he's kind of the authority figure or the teacher. It just is like, no one – I don't want to hear that from you. Right. There is something like all the like mystical Japanese parts are really my favorite. Like just like <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Miyagi's like magical healing, really. Like the whole, you know, <laughs> where he rubs his hands and like how stupid we are as like white audiences where we're like, well, well, he, he knows Japanese healing, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course he, he does. Eastern medicine, I mean. <laughs> What did he do? And then he rubs it, and it's like he fixed it. Um, but Mr. Miyagi is just the best, too. He really is. He's awesome. Yeah. Right. And it is. That's how Daniel – we talked about it, but that's how Daniel gets Johnny to paint a house. Right. I mean, it's you, like, can't deny – you know that's his teacher that and like he earned mr miyagi's respect yeah therefore he has my respect that's true that's true and i will say too something i'm very pleased with myself about if i may is uh i knew it was critical that we show the opening scene of the second karate kid right after the first one right because you really need to put a bow on crease (laughs) and miyagi and That is, that's actually, that's the scene that your son, I feel like, has asked to rewatch the most. The most. Right. Is Miyagi versus Kreese. Dodging those punches in yeah. the bloody fist. Right. Which, yeah. by the way, like, the entire tournament, and really all the karate scenes throughout Karate Kid are fantastic. Yeah. You know? And the tournament fighting, that's also, too, that's like pre-CGI, not a lot of stunt doubling. Mr. Miyagi, I know, had heavy stunt doubling because right. you can't expect Pat Morita to be yeah, like really, a ninja. Right. <laughs> a 65, 70-year-old man in that movie. Right. But the tournament scenes, those fights are awesome. Right. They're you know? well done. And 
there's really nothing to the Miyagi crease fight. It's two punches and a man just stepping sideways. Right. <laughs> it's a nothing fight. Right, right. But it's the you know it's these two titanic figures right squaring Kreese off really telegraphs those blows he does, <laughs> he does. Yes. the second one i can forgive him the first yeah where i didn't know he was gonna move right i didn't know how fast he was for that kind of the an old man second one almost feels intentional like what did he think was going to happen i know the second one really just felt like even his face i just thought he was just like I know I can't win. Right. I just, right. I just gotta do something. Like right. the fact that he got out of the way again, so unfazed on that first punch. Yeah. Is I just, I'm doing it. I know it's just, I don't <laughs> it's know. Hopeless, but I'm gonna try it again. Right. 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 Why did he do that? Yeah. I don't know. I think he was just really shook by the first punch. Right. Like he just couldn't believe how quick, how quick this little man was. Right. Yeah. Who has bested him. Yeah, in every facet. In every way. Right. Right. Uh, right. As a coach and now as... As a fighter. Combatant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He just owned you. Right. That's it. He did. But yeah, that was that was a fun experience. Everyone got into it. I got everybody headbands so that people could choose sides. You know, black headbands, Miyagi headbands. Yes, you were well. We were well outfitted. Um, you never know with these trying to get your kids into movies that you loved yeah like this is i went as well as like you could possibly have it go like i showed them big the other day okay and they got into it but it was a much slower burn like yeah but nate finally kind of came around because of like the um playing with toys and i was like you know this is but but like I feel like I've tried to get them into Goonies. That didn't, yeah. it didn't go the way I kind of imagined in my brain. Um, Home Alone, my son loved, but they delivered on this one. That was nice. It's because you never really. It's always disappointing when you like want them to love something that they don't love. I know. What's the secret sauce with that? Is it just? Is it? Is it our expectations just generally too high in those situations? Is it? That entertainment has changed and kids don't really have to... Because i got to say, some of these 80s and 90s movies, like, the first half hour of the movie is way... You know, I don't need all this backstory. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. They're slower, for sure. Like, yeah. There's definitely a slowness of pace to movies. And was it just... Were we so accustomed to it where we just knew that was the, you know, that was the cost of doing business and that our kids don't have to deal with that? Or... Is it just our expectations are too high sometimes? You know what's funny when you watch like movies from the eighties and nineties is how long the opening credits are. My kids are always like, "Is it over?" Right, and you are, and like how long that took before they were like, "Why don't we just start the movie?" The movie, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why did they used to do that? I, I mean, I think it's like it might have even been like contractual, like they had to mention all these different people, yeah, before you're even allowed to start the movie. But like some of these long intros where and i am like no like just wait i know and you have to like fast forward through them but it's like yeah it took like 25 years before people in hollywood are like maybe we should just start <laughs> I, I wonder right if they were like well we're gonna start putting the credits at the end and someone's like but then no one will read them yeah, right and it's like well right yeah who cares no one's yeah. reading them now what are we everyone doing? hates them yeah everybody's upset <laughs> they're turning off the movies as they should yeah right. that's really annoying yeah so also while on this trip we went skiing and i had a great time and i also had a terrible time at varying points (laughs) on the journey and i think we also had different experiences because i think 
we both had a good time doing the same thing. We both probably had a bad time doing different things based on you having skis already and us right. needing to rent skis. That's the problem. However you're doing equipment, it's brutal. There's really no good way. Like, renting skis is the worst at the mountain. And so we've started renting them for the season. And, and it's better because you can just get there and buy your lift ticket and then you're just going. But you still got to get your boots on. You got to get a locker. Now you're carrying skis from the car. Right, the, all the way from the car. And you got the boots and a million different things and jackets and gloves and neck warmers and all the rest of it. And like by the time... And then, you know, you're also like, you're so bundled that you're like hot while you're doing all this stuff, you know? Yes. But you're like, you don't want to take off the layers. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I start sweating always and then getting so upset <laughs> and just like get so close to being like the hell with it. <laughs> right. But once you actually get going, skiing with kids is one of the better kid activities because you get the nice chairlift bonding time where they're sitting and they can't do anything. Right. And then you get the going down where you're actually like a human for like 15 minutes, just like looking around. And, they, and once you get them going, like it's pretty tough like when you're teaching them how to ski. But once they really get it, it's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. We So in the renting side of things, right. So we had far less stuff. You know, for you guys, it was much more of a haul to get actually down from the parking lot to yeah. the thing. We went to go rent the equipment and it was and i like this mountain so I, I won't even name it because i don't want to be critical of it but the rental you get in there where you got we got our boots that was pretty easy you get the boots then you go where to, to where it's like the ski part and there's like five or six different stations which i know is for efficiency right but there's no signs about what to do and so i guess you were supposed to just pick a station like a grocery store aisle and wait there right but then you just have people just wander up and just like go right up in front of you, and there it's like, and there's just enough confusion where it's almost justified. Where, but it's just like, but you see me, right? You know, why would I stand three feet behind this guy? Like, right, right. Just for, I'm just hanging out right. in this room. You it's, know what I'm doing, right? It's COVID cauldron, but it's happening all over the place, and it's just like, folks, I know you're ski bums. I know you got this laid back kind of lifestyle, <laughs> but we gotta have some organization happening in this room. Yeah, there's no way to rent skis and not feel like a fool, too. Like, you just, you know, it's someone who, who the person working there just knows a lot more about skiing than you do always. Yeah. And you have to be like, I don't know, like, I want, to, you know, whatever. But I want no major injuries today. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. <laughs> Sorry, we... we... <laughs> so... Yes, indeed. <laughs> we experienced a little technical <laughs> difficulty there, so we had to, you know. Well, it doesn't matter. You it guys don't matter. care, right? I don't know. I oh. don't know. I, I think skiing's fun. It's a lot of. It's expensive. Yeah. And sometimes you're not sure that it's the juice is worth the squeeze, but right. I think the main think thing, if you're a skier, right. the main thing is you gotta live in a town with a mountain. Yeah. Or in a neighboring town of some sort, when you're city folk like us, ultimately, it's probably not worth it. But if you enjoy it, it's fun and you do it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, uh, I don't know. Uh, it, I like never would have guessed. I like always used to hate skiing, sort of. It's just such an ordeal and it's scary. And 
but I have come to appreciate it as a family man. Um, but I don't know. No, I think you're right too. Because look, it's a way for your family to kind of be active together, spend some time together, yeah. you know, and kind of do something all you know you're all doing the same thing at once and you don't have to be a supreme athlete to do it there's yeah. different levels of mountains and and slopes you could go down although you ended up you got yourself caught on a bit oh, of a diamond right. yes i did i got a little lost <laughs> i had to get myself back up the mountain and yeah nearly if i had taken a left instead of a right i would have gone down to like straight down like i would have probably had to take my skis off and walk it right was like that kind of hill yeah um and I'm an okay skier, but not great by any... You know, I, this mountain actually was pretty good. We went earlier this winter to a place where they were just, like, a bunch of crazies. Like, people who weren't good just flying down. In fact, I saw this guy on a snowboard, and this was on, like, the bunny hill, like, the real, like, training, you know, like, hill. And he comes flying on a snowboard, and he drills oh, like a nine-year-old girl oh, no. right in the back of her legs. Oh, my God. And she goes flying. And her mother starts screaming at this guy. <laughs> totally understandably. yeah. But she just starts yelling at him, unacceptable! Unacceptable! <laughs> and as I saw it. I was on the chairlift going up, and I saw it happen. I was like, whoa! You know, like, and he, I mean barreled into this kid like he could just you got, tell how old was the guy he was like he was a t either late teens or early 20s type and just totally out of control but he was like i couldn't tell if he didn't know what he was doing at all that's like the only excuse he could possibly have but he was going fast you know yeah but i could see what like i've never been on a snowboard i could see if you didn't know what you were doing where you might get yourself going and not know how to slow down Right, but I mean, <laughs> but oh, just barreled into her, and the mother was so crazy. <laughs> I'm acceptable. <laughs> Were you able to see how the guy reacted to getting? Not it? enough. Like not. He he was clearly shaken up by it, but he he didn't react well. Like he didn't get up and go like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." He kind of right. like he took her yelling at him more like look pal like she nearly decapitated right yeah and she's right that is unacceptable uh, and i don't know how she wasn't like she then was limping off like she could have blown out a knee like it was a really ugly scene and the thing is too i don't buy it if you're first of all you're on the bunny hill you're right, going what were you doing yeah. yeah for like what were you doing on that slope and even my daughter yesterday was pretty much her first adventure skiing and she instinctively knew, I'm going faster than I'm comfortable with. I'm going to sit down. Right, Which right. is totally an option At for even point. a rookie yeah, yeah. snowboarder in his yeah. 20s. So, right. like, Get down. Yeah, <laughs> that's still, even if you don't know what you're doing, that's on you. No, it was unbelievable. I mean, he just, but then, like, on the other trails, like, it was just like that. Like, it was like being on, like, a public golf course where there's people just spraying balls all over the place. But this was, like... Just yahoos going like super fast who weren't good skiers. Like it was, it's one thing when you're you're taking up space of good skiers, and then you feel like maybe you're at fault a little bit. This yeah. was like not on the green trails, people just going too fast. But right. Weren't, actually, yesterday, I didn't see a lot of that, so that that was that made it a lot better. Yeah, I went. There was uh, I went as a high schooler. I went skiing once in Vermont, and there was this like really tough black diamond and then right next to it 
was a slope that they called second thoughts. <laughs> and I, I think that that should almost be a universal requirement second thoughts. at all ski mountains. Yeah. Next to a black diamond should always be a second thoughts trail. Right. Where you get to look yeah, at the no, steepness. that's true. Right. Yeah. Let me go this way. I don't want to do it. Right, yeah, right. Right. I was telling myself I can handle this. Now I'm at the top. I know. That's not doable. I know. Skiing's a tough one of those activities with your kids, too, where you don't want them to be afraid of it, but it is dangerous. They right. have to understand that also. You're like, don't be afraid, but be careful because you could get really hurt. It's like, what? Well, yeah, right. That's all mixed messaging. You right. could die out here, though. So, like, <laughs> really pay attention. But no, don't worry about it. Don't be afraid of it. <laughs> yeah, like, I felt with my daughter, I didn't really have to explain that it was dangerous i think she suspected yeah, yeah. danger instinct i mean you know it doesn't take too much you're, <laughs> right. just, you're going down right you're going fast um but yeah i don't know i love the opera ski i'm great in the opera ski that's after ski oh yes i, I dominate after skiing <laughs> <laughs> nothing is better than the lodge break oh Taking your boots off might be oh, yeah. the best part of a day of skiing. Yeah. Actually, is the is is the, the the relief of that is is so wonderful. And just the feeling of a well earned meal, drink, cocktail. Yeah, yeah for sure. Your just body, like you did something, you pushed yourself. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. All right, so that is the benefit of skiing. I think, like, yeah, no, it's good. It's it's yeah. good. It's good, honest family fun. But I'm, so there's a funny meme that's like, I saw something where it was like, rich people ask crazy questions like, do you ski? <laughs> you do kind of forget, right? Like, most people don't go skiing ever. <laughs> Actually, it's funny. Like, um, uh, funny that you mentioned that. One time uh, I was with my wife and, and some of her friends, and it was fairly early on in our relationship or whatever. And one of her friends went to Vermont. So she's, you know, a pretty regular skier. And I I said to um, Nicole, I was like, oh, I guess you can't ski anymore because you had that knee surgery. Because she had a knee surgery just before I'd met her. And then her friends just start cracking up. And they're like, yeah, Nicole doesn't ski anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, since that knee injury. <laughs> That's what stopped right. it. Prior to that. <laughs> lived on those slopes right yeah i don't know skiing and golfing are interesting siblings of each other you know yeah. like the way you graduate like there's like the local like what we're doing what right we do. and then there's like you go to vermont that's like then you go to canada and yeah and you graduate to like colorado that's when you really like i which i've never done in my life that's so true and they both like have somewhat prohibitively expensive equipment yes and uh, you know, you have to live in a certain area to have access to certain, like, quality of instruction. and yeah. Play. yeah, that is true. It's very similar. Well, speaking of golf, Brian, the Saudi League. Is that what it's called? Yeah. What's it called? It's actually called the Saudi Golf League. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, it is this, like, breakaway tour that Greg Norman is trying to start. Greg Norman, I don't know if you know this, had this, like, long history of trying to, like, fuck with the PGA Tour he originally wanted to start this like world tour he has this long thing that basically like the tour which like i get right these guys are all like essentially independent contractors they work for their money but uh -huh. the tour 
is this like entity they have to like deal with you know because they own all the events so like there's guys i see like he's kind of like why do we share any of this profit right so we're the players the pga is uber and the players are the drivers right i mean it's like any league right except that it's even more so Mm -hmm. because like you know in the same way that the nba the players are the product like in golf the golfers are the product although you i guess you could argue the courses are too a little bit but um you know in football and baseball and basketball like you have a contract with a team that agrees to pay you this much like this like they don't guarantee you anything you have right. to go earn the money right and so the idea of the saudi golf league is like this really cushy schedule it's only like 14 15 events and you get guaranteed money you know if it was like in addition to the pga tour it could be fun but it sounds like the tour sees it as this like existential threat and so they are basically saying like if you play in this thing you can't play in the pga tour so first of all why is greg norman the guy who's leading is it like this is i mean this is sort of a joke but like is it because he had so many choke jobs on the PGA Tour <laughs> no. that he's just like, I'm starting my own thing? Well, no. He tried to do it back in the day and failed. And this is like his, I'm doing it again. Okay. Like, and he's got now more backers who can provide the money. And then Mickelson's into it because he has beef with the PGA Tour for similar reasons. And he also like has money issues that people like don't totally under, you know, know about. Phil and, Mickelson? Yeah. like So Phil Mickelson... I don't know, maybe, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to discuss that, you know. <laughs> For real? No, but oh. like, are we gonna get, I'm like gonna slander Phil Mickelson, but apparently there's like a book coming out about him, about like his gambling and how bad it is, and like I guess in 2019 he like sold his plane, um, and people said that plane is like his pride and joy, is like his private jet, and he had to sell it. Huh. And he's made like, one, he's made like a hundred million in earnings, and you know then he makes like 50 60 million a year in endorsements for like 10 15 years now so for him to like have to sell a plane because he had money troubles it's like pretty yeah. extreme you know and like so they think a little bit of him and you know he had this whole thing flap with like insider trading a couple years ago where he mm. basically got busted insider trading and had to return the money but they agreed to like not actually prosecute him so he's very involved but it just like it doesn't make any sense on its own like because they're talking about like 40 guys just competing against each other with no cuts like i could understand why that's appealing to certain players because it's guaranteed money and it's big money but it's just the same 40 dudes playing each other with no cuts and like why do i want to watch that you know like what's cool about the pga tour is like there's 150 something guys in the field any one of them could win and the winning is like very difficult like this is like now every event is like a really small field like and then there's fewer events too fewer events there's like 14 15 events and it's nice for the players because they know their schedules but like what do we learn about like you know what i mean there's now no way to compare eras there's just these like guys playing and i guess like how do you break through also how do you get into the league yeah right right like what i don't know it's just like what does it mean to win one of these things and like let's say you win a bunch of them but like half the fee, you know half none of the good players are that maybe there or why are the saudis involved 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good question because everybody's like, like Phil, like kind of dancing around, and he's like, I know they're bad guys, like they murder people, blah blah blah, but like. I want to do this. But, it's like, but I need a plane and no, again. And right, and like, right. But like, why are the Saudis interested in this? Like, where have they, like, we should start a golf league. Yeah. I know, yeah. Like, or like, put Gre- it in their head. Greg Norman, there's not any American billionaires that right. can make a run at the PGA. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm sure those guys have egos. They, you know, Jeff Bezos owning right. a golf league i don't think he'd have a problem with yeah, that that's so true there's you know? not some like australian eccentric billionaire who could fund this thing yeah like, yeah right instead I know. you have to go to the middle east <laughs> right and, go to, like, the, and it's like the saudi arabian like government I know. <laughs> right right i know it's so true yeah they right, used like, a bone saw on a guy up like barstool sports and they'd probably yeah. be down for it right like, totally <laughs> right They'd be at least a little more defensible. I know. <laughs> Dave Porto is not a great guy. He didn't bone saw a right. journalist. Right. Come on. Right. No, I know. Like, it is really weird. So who are the guys? It's Greg Norman, Phil Mix. I think I saw on Twitter, like, Bryson DeChambeau is... The guys who were, like, everybody was saying, like, Dustin Johnson and DeChambeau were the people. And, like, Adam Scott has said some nice things about it. But then... Tiger was out against it in force, and then Rory McIlroy has been like really against it, and been like really open about it, and like basically, like it's just a money grab and it's gross and uh, like really outspoken. I think he's put a lot of pressure on everybody to kind of good for him. And like the problem is, if everybody doesn't go with you, the thing falls apart really fast. Because like if you're Bryson DeChambeau, like okay, it's nice to get this money, but like if there's no good players on there. Like, no one's going to care that I'm winning. Like, it just becomes right. like a mini tour. It's like, why? It's like one guy going to the XFL right. on his own. And then what? Like, and I what? won the XFL yeah, Super Bowl. Super Bowl. But, right. like, no one came with me. Yeah. Well, then, like, you did nothing. You know? like, <laughs> right. And it's not, good, it's not good for his brand long term. He's not going to make as much money. Like, um, So, like, where is, what what stage is this league in? In its development. It was supposed to start this summer, but it sounds like it is like falling apart as we speak because nobody's doing it. And like, look, I don't know. I'm not like any great fan of the PGA Tour. Like, as an entity, like, it would be pretty cool if this thing was like in addition to, and you had these like, let's say they had ten events that were you know small fields no cuts best players in the world that sounds really fun and they all got guaranteed money like that's no problem but it's if it can't exist within the current setup then it does become like because like look you know how many tour wins did you have like that's stuff's important like that's how we evaluate all these guys i mean i know like they can still then compete in the majors but the majors would have to decide like okay are we going to grant people spots based on how they do in well, this thing like, yeah so that's the other thing i need to kind of understand a little bit better is like what why can't you be in both leagues do you get kicked off the tour well that's what the tour is saying although there's some people who say that's like legally dubious that they could actually do that because of like a monopoly or i have no idea but okay that they may not have the right to say like you are banned from the pga tour because you like essentially you are a free person i don't know like i don't know how that works but i've read that some people think that's like potentially dubious that they're allowed to do that. Yeah, they might not be able to do that. And then I don't know, like, because if you're the Saudi league 
and you have players are like for example are you going to like schedule an event in early april because if you're trying to become number one you're going to try and draw away from the Masters. Or are they going to be smart well, enough to be like, well, I can't compete with the Masters. I mean, I don't think they have to compete with the Masters because the Mas- like they're specifically targeting the PGA Tour, which is distinct. Like, the Tour doesn't own the Masters, the U.S. Open. Oh, I see. I mean, that's the problem the PGA Tour has always had is actually, like, the biggest events in golf they get no p- part of. So that's why they created this like fedex cup playoffs like you right know, that right nonsense. right like and they, actually they've done a pretty good job of making turning that into like a decent event but uh and i think that's why this this for them is like an existential threat because they already don't have the biggest events in their sport which is like really crazy when you think about it i mean it'd be like if like somebody else put on the super bowl yeah that's crazy <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know that yeah yeah no they get nothing from it all it is for them is like advertising for their players like it's wow like, yeah they're not and they count as pg i mean i think there's some connection because those wins count as pga tour wins but they're not pga tour events like the usga owns the us open the masters obviously is put on by the club they own it i see like the tour doesn't get any of that money wow so do, what are you are you are you opposed to the saudi league and it's mostly because you think it would just you know it would make it almost less competitive because there's fewer people i just think the idea of it doesn't make a lot of sense in if it is intended to be a rival league if it is intended to be a companion to the pga tour i think there's a way that you could have like they already have this thing the wgc which is four events a year. Like if this was like a beefed up version of that, it could be really cool. But as like a rival league, that's just going to like, it's just going to, yeah, dilute the product. Um, You know, if you had a bunch of top players in this and then, you know, it would stink. Like it just, I don't see how it makes any sense as a standalone like competitor to the PGA Tour. So almost similar to what I was saying, I think I saw something in the athletic this morning about how David Sankey, the commissioner of the sec was saying how, um, they, you know, the sec would not favor a playoff expansion. And if the playoffs do end up expanding through the NCAA, the sec might just compete separately. Right. And then the winner, the champion of the rest of college football would have an opportunity to possibly play the sec champion. Maybe. Is that sort of like, it's like, why would you do that? Why would you like break yes. off from the rest Total of us? perfect, yes. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. okay. then like you've re- you've now made it less fun, right? Yeah, like now Ohio right. State doesn't go and play Alabama. Like who's that working for? Like, yeah. Now it's like you've carved out this thing, but you still have too many of the top people over here. Like, you know. Yeah. I. Uh, That's ridiculous, by the way. I mean, why, why would the SEC be against the expansion? Wouldn't it help them just as much as anybody? I Well, I think that, like, I don't know that it would. Like, you'd think it would in theory, right? But I still think – I probably the SEC knows who they actually are. Like, you were saying it when we were just talking about it before. But, like, they are Alabama. They benefit so much from Alabama's, you know, historic dominance. Right. Led by Nick Saban. And they always have another really good team. Yeah. Like, most recently, it's Georgia – about 10 years ago, it was Florida that was kind of always in the mix. Yeah, yeah. But then you get past that. Right, it and drops like, off pretty yeah, quick. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It just does. <laughs> right. And Auburn has I... been in the rut for a while. Yeah. Like LSU has dropped off. Florida has been terrible. And so I think it's more 
of that. I think it's more like when you expand the playoff to 12, you probably get still your top two to three SEC teams. But you know what? You might also get at least two Big Ten teams. Right. And so then they don't get to, you know, say, well, we're the best conference in the country. You just – you guys don't let us prove it by having all the SEC teams. Right. In Like, why don't we have four SEC teams? Like, because, guys. Why do people get in the way? We're on the dawn of, like, the best college football era ever. I like, know. It's right here for the taking. All you got to do is expand it to, like, whatever you want to do. Eight teams, 12 teams, something yeah. like that. But even Ohio State said something outrageous. I'm furious with Gene Smith, <laughs> the athletic director. He's – because I think a lot of the appeal to some people about the playoff is, like, they were talking about, you know, of course, the season would have to get reworked. And, you know, you're talking about – how much tour wins mean historically on the PGA. I could care less about the college football regular season. Anyone who's like a playoff would ruin the college football regular right. season is an idiot. Right. Not that I could care less about it, but like, Why do I don't want to, yeah, like I don't care if Ohio state plays Miami of Ohio anymore, but you know, so they would have to kind of shorten the season or at least sort of make it only conference play or something at the beginning. And then you get into a, a longer playoff because there might be 12 teams involved. Right. But then some of those games would take place in December in the home stadiums right. of the teams in the schools. And Gene Smith said that he wouldn't want to play a playoff game in December in Ohio Stadium. He would much rather do it at Lucas Oil in Indianapolis. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because he's i mean according to him it's like and i guess because of like ryan day and how we run our offense we do better on a fast track so what right whatever like i don't understand green bay is not like built for the like but you play in the cold and right, it's like right. that's infuriating right how fun would that be of like, course games in home college game. stadiums like right. sounds like heaven a freezing night playoff game in ohio stadium right. would be so electric right. but no let's make students pay to go to indianapolis right to go play at lucas oil yeah like, yeah no that's terrible that's terrible i know so I just right. Everyone's trying to ruin it. Let college football be great. It's. I mean, it, I guess I know what people are saying. It's already great. It's been great. It's fine. Those but. people are wrong, though. Right. They can right. say it. Right. I know that's it's what they'd right say too. The but they're wrong. Of, like perfection to me. Like you're gonna have USC be back in the mix. You're yeah. Get, it sounds like Miami might be t getting turned around. Like if then if you had eight teams, if you could get like all those schools in and playoff, like that would be so fun. And you're so right before about Alabama. Like, Nick Saban is an old man. Right. He's going to, at some point, not be able to do this anymore. Right. And then it would not shop. Like, I'm not saying, like, the next year Alabama will be in the tank. But it'll definitely be open season on all these recruits that just got locked down by them. Right. For, you know, over a decade. Yeah, I mean... It's interesting because they were always good, but like there was like some leanish years after what's his name Stallings. Gene Stallings, yeah. right? And then they had Shula, right, Mike Shula right, come right. in, former Giants quarterbacks coach Mike Shula came in and did almost nothing there. Right. Yeah. And then Saban came and like quickly restored order. Right. But like yeah, they did have a little lull there where so it could happen again. And that's all these programs like Florida when Thurban Meyer looked totally unstoppable yeah. for a stretch and then he left and they suck. Right. And they haven't found anyone to adequately replace him since. You know, like, I know some of these schools, and I think Florida's a good example, right? Because they were awesome under Spurrier, and then they had a long period where they sucked. Right. And then they got Urban, and then they were awesome, and then they've sucked. Yeah, there's not there's more jobs that aren't as tailor-made as you think. 
Um, There's very few that are turnkey, really. Anyway. Right, yeah. right, right. I mean, you know, Ohio State might be one of them. I, they're probably one of them. They've never been bad. Right, never bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's us. Yeah. See? That's it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't get the idea of uh, SEC only. Like, talk about ruining it. I mean, if yeah. you think, like, an expanded playoff ruins college football, how about, like, SEC starting its own league? Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, disbanding from the NCAA. Like, that will ruin college football. I also, getting back to the golf thing for a second, I'm supporting anyone who's speaking out against this. Isn't it funny how, like, how many news outlets, typically right-wing, who are like, LeBron James, why isn't he speaking out against right, China? Right. It's like, he Phil Mickelson, why isn't he speaking out against the Saudis? Right. Why is he joining oh, not, the Saudis? He's not speaking out, right, the opposite. He's right. like acknowledging that they murder people, but being like, but they got a lot of money and this is a good <laughs> right. idea. So, But I had to who, sell my jet, so right. who cares? Right. right. But I need the cash. I, I put a million dollars on the Super Bowl and uh, it didn't pay out. <laughs> Is it a gambling thing? Is that what he's suspected of? I don't know. There's apparently like a book coming out about Mickelson that's going to like reveal all his dirty laundry that I'm pretty excited about. But <laughs> one of it is that he, yeah, he, he's, it's more, his gambling is like worse than anybody's aware of. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rory McIlroy has been like super outspoken and then Tiger has not said a ton, but was like, I'm sticking with the tour. That's where my legacy is, which was nice. It was, you know, yeah, like good Tiger, for him. Like, you know, it wouldn't have shocked me if he came down on the wrong side. And totally, it's been a pleasant surprise that he's found himself on the, uh, you know, the proper side of this one. Yeah, that's good. Well, yeah, down with the Saudi league. <laughs> I don't support it. <laughs> they do not have Scott Ishii's support. Full support. No, yeah, no, no. no, no good. Let me tell you who does have my full support, and that's. Tom Thibodeau, right. Brian. He has my full, unfiltered support. Mine too. I no, can't believe it. Not only that, like, the Knicks firing Tom Thibodeau would be a catastrophe, I really think. I really yeah. think it would be madness. Like, to me, he's the only thing... Like, this front office has done a decent job, and I've liked a lot of the stuff they've done, and I think they're smart folks. But, like, the thing that has given the Knicks some credibility and feeling of, like, they have a plan and a clue and a little bit know what they're doing is Tibbs. Like, yeah. He gives them so much credibility and stability and just, like, at least we have something. We have something solid. Like, that guy is a good basketball coach. Like, if we have a good team, he will put a winning team on the floor. Right. Like, I trust that. Yeah. I don't think that's even debatable. So, like... That's the only thing we really have that's, like, rock solid. You know, like, Julius Randle, you can't really trust him. R.J. Barrett, I don't know. Like, we've got some decent young players, but they're, like, all pretty iffy. Leon Rose seems like he knows what he's doing, but then he's got World Wide West and weird characters, and he keeps hiring people. It's like, there's, like, seven. Like, what does Scott Perry do? Like, right. Like, he's still around. Like, their front office is still a little weird like the only thing where you're like that guy is good at his job and he works for us is tibbs i also it's just like you saw tibbs was coach of the year last year he had elfried payton as his starting point guard and he had reggie bullock in the starting lineup right and we were real, and we were the four seed right now this season the ch there's been a change in the players and we're worse 
It's like, right, right. Whose fault is that? Not the coaches. Yeah, yeah. You know, like who's in charge of the players? Because last year we had worse players, better results. This year we have better players, worse results. It's just not a lot of situations <laughs> where that's the coaching's issue. Yeah. You know, it's like the front office or whoever picks the players brought in guys that either didn't jive with what we were trying to do. Right. And it's also it makes like. Whether or not you wanted to bring the Knicks in a different direction than where Tibbs had taken us, well, then why, A, why did you hire him? Right. And it was only one year, and it was way more successful than what we're seeing. So even if that was your strategy or your plan, that's a terrible idea. Why did you hire Tibbs in the first place? Right. Why did you hire And then, And th- that you seemingly have the guy picked out to replace him in Johnny Bryant, who I'd never heard of, but like maybe knows what he's doing but like never do that first of all never hire never. a guy with another guy that you really want to be the coach just make that guy the coach and then like i just what like has this season been super disappointing yes it has and the last couple weeks especially have been a disaster like the blown leads losing terrible games like it's really gone poorly but like what were people what were the expectations like the eastern conference is so much better I thought there was a really good chance the Knicks might be a better team, but not have as good a record yeah. as last year. I thought that was like a big possibility. So like, I'm really disappointed in where they are and what they're doing, but like, not like change everything. Like we weren't gonna win the championship this year. This year was still about like developing a few guys, you know. And like, I'm still seeing that RJ's taking a step forward. Mitchell Robinson's taking a step forward. We found Quentin Grimes. He seem, seems like a good player. So like. You know, Emmanuel quickly is, like, shooting terrible, but he's improved every other part of his game. Like, I'm seeing that happen where there's guys, like, making progress. And, like, we know who to get rid of and where, you know, we know we need a point guard. We know where, you know, we know we need some more defense. Like, we need, like, I don't really see this being just, like, such a lost year where we have to change absolutely everything and fire Tibbs and, like, you know tank and you know (laughs) get rid of every single player we have like you just gotta relax yeah like stay patient and try to you know like their goal should be turn it around start get Derek rose back start playing better see if you can make the play in which you probably can't at this point but of course that's still your goal like i just i don't know how else you would proceed no i agree with you and I think we all kind of told ourselves in the preseason that it was possible for us to be a better team with maybe a worse record and a lower seed in the playoffs. No one saw it going this badly, obviously. But bing bong, like, really kind of changed right. the trajectory. That's so true. Everybody got so carried away. That first five and one start, right? Yeah. Bing bong. It was like, we're going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I know. It, 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 look, there was reason to think that. There you know? was. There was. Like, yeah. the garden was rocking and all those fans out there. And we beat Boston in overtime. But I don't know. I, I just. I wouldn't. I, I don't know how I'd be able to tolerate a Tibbs firing, and it's so infuriating. It seems so Twitter media driven. I feel right. like, like Dan Duggan and Jordan Renan need to take notice. Right, right. How you did can get people fired? Yeah. yeah. Like, how did you guys allow for the Dave Gettleman era? Like, how did you do it? Right. How was not so much pressure? I mean, I guess it's like the difference is like you have an owner that you know. That's like the thing that suddenly suddenly you see dolan's name in headlines and you're just like oh god like he's getting involved you know it's like he's probably like what i thought we're gonna be good this year it's like oh jim like 
So then they got to placate him, and it's like, oh, it's the coach. She's no good. And it's like, oh, God. like. But then I also wonder, like, what's going on where, like, again, is it the media that starts getting itchy about Tibbs? And then World Wide West sees an opportunity, and right. so he can point to it to Dolan. And it's like, you know, it's still media-driven to some extent. Right. If the media wasn't writing about fire Tibbs, Dolan might not right. think it's an issue. He might have told Wes... Right, I and also know. Leon Rose, like, get control of your organization. Like, right. you are in charge. Like, why right. do I hear about World Wide West? And also, we never hear from you, ever. Yeah. Ever. Also, who is this guy? Uh, right. <laughs> who is he? But also, who is World Wide West? Right, right. Why is somebody with the name World Wide And look, maybe, I'm sure he's super qualified, and he has all these great relationships, and whatever, but, like, who's in charge? It's like, then Scott Perry's still there. Like, right. Who does run the Knicks? Like, Brock Aller has, like, a ton of power, like... There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen right now, it feels like. And the only guy I trust is the guy that is, like, probably on his way out. Right. <laughs> right. And probably the only guy who his agenda is primarily about having a good basketball right, team. Right, you right. Right. He's winning games. Yeah. Know, which theoretically should be what everybody's trying to do. Right. But, like, know. right. It's so clear, like, World Wide West's number one thing is to get Johnny Bryan in his head coach. And, right. like, I don't know Why? what Leon Rose's priorities are. Right. I don't know what Brock Aller's priorities are. Like, I know what Tibbs's priorities are, and I know I'm fully aligned with those priorities. Right, right. I just am so sick of the play the kids stuff because I just feel like, one, most of the kids play. And then, two, the only guys you're – what you're really talking about is Obi and Cam Reddish being, like – like force feeding them beyond what they've earned essentially like yeah cam reddish does not deserve a ton of minutes like the only reason you're saying you want to see cam reddish because he's a former lottery pick and you're curious right he's a shiny new toy yeah and you want to see it and he's got some talent there's no reason to think he's a really good player and there's no urgency to like find out what this guy is and then like obi who i like and everything like obi knows exactly what he needs to do to play more he needs to hit three-pointers and block shots. And if he's not going to do it, he's not going to play that much. And, right. like, Julius plays – they win more. Like, he plays more because he's a better player. And sometimes does it feel like Obi provides the spark? Absolutely. But I just am so convinced that more of Obi would, would be less. Like, you know, that, like, when it's when Obi is ready to play more minutes, he'll get them. I totally agree. Like, do you think – if Obi was, I don't know, how much better does Obi have to be to be a solid eighth overall pick? Like from what he is now? Yeah. I mean, look, if you if you you, you look at his per 36, like they're pretty good. Like he doesn't play, he really doesn't play a lot of minutes. Right. Like <laughs> he plays like 15 minutes a game and he's averaging like eight points, you know? So like... You know, I think his per 36 are, you know, 13, 14 points and seven, eight boards. Like, that's a pretty decent, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. late lottery. Like, he's a useful player. And I love the kid. He's awesome. He's so fun to watch. I get, it's not like I'm like, what? why are people, like, we're boring and losing and he's exciting. Right. I get it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like he's going to play more when he deserves to play more. Like, and it's really on him. It's like obi's got to step up yeah like it's not oh this guy's just got to play him more it's like no he's got to get better at these yeah. couple of things that we know he needs to get better at <laughs> right uh, why is obi getting blamed for winning 
a boring dunk contest. Yeah, I don't know. It's all about it's fitting though. Like right. Nate Robinson won like the last totally shitty yeah. dunk contest, so that's appropriate that that's... a Nick always seems to win. <laughs> when I will say like I hate when people bitch. They act like it is like some kind. Like look, the dunk contest is not good some years. Like right. there's not always like a generational dunker. It's not always Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine. And guess what? Some years the Super Bowl sucks ass. It's yeah. a boring game. Some years Game Seven of the World Series is ten to one and it stinks. Some years golf tournaments don't come to give big sporting events. They don't always deliver what you want. Sometimes like the gold medal favorite falls in the and it's boring right. and you're like, oh, this is that's what yeah, happens. It right. wasn't a good dunk contest. It's not the end of the republic. It's not like <laughs> something that has to be fixed. Fix the dunk Fix contest. The dunk. It was just boring this year. Next year, with any luck, it'll be better. I agree. I do, I do think though, I would settle for every year less exciting dunks from the top players. Right. The, well, you can't. The thing about the dunk contest that the NBA, like, and I'm sure they know this and they try. I don't know who, who like, because one, it has to be a young players because the vets don't want to do it. But it does have to be stars because yeah. those are the best dunkers. Like, they always try to get these, like, dunker guys. Right. Like, very few of them actually deliver. There was, like, the, the guy who won a couple years ago, I forget his name, who was really good. Like, Derek, was it Jones or what was that? He was really good. Anyway. There's occasionally there's those guys, but it's like usually the guys who are awesome dunkers are really good players. Has like, LeBron been in one? No, he didn't do it. That's a disgrace. I know he should have. That's done a it. black I eye. On his it career. really is. He should have done it. And his whole thing, like I'm not a that kind of dunker. It's like, dude, you're like the greatest I've seen. Right. Also, you've seen him messing around before games. Like right. Because, just because you don't like maybe do all the tricks, it's like the power, the athleticism. Like, trust me, you would have. You would have won too, like right. If you were worried about like disappointing everybody, like you Michael would have Jordan's won. most famous dunks had nothing to do with a trick. Right, didn't put, right. do anything weird with the ball. Yeah, it was just I'm so cool. Right, right. Like that's you would it. Would have been fine. Adam. Yeah, <laughs> that's just. I'm sure for him, he feels like he's got nothing to gain from it, everything to lose. It just embarrasses him. But like Kobe did it, and he kind of sucked at it. Right, but I mean, but that's won. the thing. It's like, he's like, well, I have only things to lose. Like, that's your mindset when yeah. you're insecure. Yeah, yeah. And, like, not the best player in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, you have nothing to gain from it. You have everything to gain from it. You have immortality right. to gain from it. No, he should do it. Yeah. He should have done it. They, I mean, and yeah. When you don't have those guys, then it doesn't deliver. Like, right. He should feel shame. He should he should regret it. He should be like, I should have done one dunk contest. For right. God's sakes, it would have been really fun. Yeah. Has Ky- has any of Brooklyn's, well, former no, but trio. I don't, see, I, like, I don't think Kevin Durant would be good in it. Yeah, I don't think so either. Right. But he's still got to play. Right. You think he should have done it? I just think they all should. Right. I don't think, I don't, I, I don't blame him. I don't think he would be good at it. But, oh. Yeah, I do think bye, bye. LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I do think LeBron should have done it. But yeah, I'm just saying. Like, I just, I mean, I think I talked about this when I was by myself. But I hate all this All Star discourse and people complaining about All Star games and it's just not everything's great. Some things right. are just okay. Like, and it's okay. Like, I, 
I don't know. Right, just take a week off for the All-Star break. You too. Like, you as the fan, also right, take a break. Right, or watch it. It's fun. And it's meant to be not that big a deal. It's right. It's just fun. Yeah, that's true. That's much... I guess that's one of those, like, media-concocted things. Like us. We're just talking about it because it's something to talk about. Right. We, You're right. we have, like, the extra right. 20 minutes to fill. Right. So let's talk... I mean, we probably, though, wouldn't have if it wasn't Obi that won the dunk contest. Right. That's what makes it relevant content for the listeners right but i guess you're right my having a dunk contest take isn't much different than Stephen a deciding that he's just gonna go out there and be like it's a disgrace yeah (laughs) oh speaking of Stephen a that's something i wanted to get to oh yeah Stephen a and mad dog it's good brilliant together really they're brilliant first of all it's only wednesdays yeah right so So it's one day a week which is enough yeah Yeah. you're not getting way oversaturated with these two because no one can tolerate that much screaming (laughs) you know what i mean so it's just two minutes i mean it's just i'm sorry it's one once a week and i i told this to you i think already but i compare it to cobra kai it's right up to the line of parody right where if if ever if there were the people involved weren't self-aware enough it would go into parody and it would be just embarrassing for everybody involved instead it's good fan service yeah (laughs) right yeah there's enough of a wink and a nod but it's it's not like totally it but they're still giving it their all and it's the two best yellers yeah. in sports media history. Yeah. The two right. best ranters. They, they are such mirror images of each other, actually. Yeah. Like, they're so the same. But both, like, both are really at their best when they're being funny. Yes. And both aren't enough aware of that, that that's their best. <laughs> yeah. And a way we, like, give us their honest opinions way too often. And it's like, you guys, are when you're funny, you're great. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't actually care what either of you think about anything. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> But I do, I think that there's, like, this kind of element to it where, like, they they are funny because of each other. Right. Like, they see it in one another. It's like, okay, I see where neighborhood he's in. Yeah. He's about, like, you know, I'm going to stay, right. you know, I'm going to get like loud. It's like professional wrestling at that point. Absolutely. Like, oh, sports commentary. Yes. Yeah. All right, I'm going to yes. have to check it out. No, and I loved it. I watched enough clips of it to be like, all right, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> Love this. Also, Love this. I just like seeing Mad Dog eclipse Mike in, in- – Yeah. Stat. Like, that's a big get for Mad Dog. He's on freaking ESPN. Yeah. It's like Mike Princess is not on ESPN ever. Right. So, congratulations to Chris Russo, New Canaan's finest. <laughs> well done, doggy. All right, folks. We'll be back next week from we different locations. See you later. <laughs>